It never fails. With the last song, I always have like this swelling up in me of just like love for God and love for y'all. And uh, I just, uh, I pray that we would believe with, with, with all of our being, like all the fiber of our being, like all the things that we're singing, like the amazing truth that God loves you and he has a plan for your life and he's here and he's never going to leave you and he's never going to forsake you. May we believe that. Glad you guys are here today. Um, I'm thankful, as John said, that you guys braved the storm to come out um, to be with us today. And, and actually, I, I met with John this week, and we were just talking about how, like, how blessed we are to be able to have this like space that we come and we can like worship together every week at. I mean, think about it. There are no distractions here. Like. If you have kids, they're, they're in another room, like being cared for and being taught. Your employer's not calling you right now, I hope. Each week, we carve out like this hour. I mean, this may just be for like one hour, but in this hour, all of us devote ourselves to one powerful idea, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus can do a lot in an hour. So I pray that you would take advantage of this time, that you would use this hour on Sunday morning, that you'd be committed to come and that you would use this hour to to like reorient your life and your mind around Jesus. Like just take this time in between like the busyness of last week and the busyness that's coming for you next week and spend this time as a time of rest and of refreshing in the Lord. I know that you guys come here because you want to like learn to be like Jesus. You want to know about him, you want to learn about him, and you ultimately want to be like him. And so John and I have been talking a lot about what is our job when we get up here on Sunday, what is the role of peach, uh, preaching, and our job is to equip you to be like Jesus. Our job is to train you to be like our Savior And John and I do not have it all figured out by any means, but we keep going to the manual. And we just keep pointing you to the manual. Say, this is how you do it. So I encourage you, take advantage of this time to just refresh and to refocus on King Jesus. God has something to say to you today. I believe that. We just have to open our eyes and our ears to to hear it. So if you would, on that note, open up to, uh, to, with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So this has kind of been the, the launching pad of our devoted series, like this particular text right here. And what we see here is like after Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended into heaven and had commissioned his disciples to go and spread the hope of the gospel, this is kind of like one of the first church gatherings that we see here. And as we read it, I want you to picture yourselves in these verses. Like we we want White Oak to be characterized by these verses. It says, starting in verse uh, 42, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Why do we want White Oak to look like this? I think because if we are doing these things, we are embodying, embodying what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what the series has been all about. It's like devoted. What does it mean to be devoted to Jesus Christ? So this is week seven of the series. We've been going through it, just trekking along. And I want to do like a quick recap to try to, uh, to get it burned into your brain. And so the first week we started out with the idea that Jesus' followers are devoted to the gospel above everything else. Like, we believe that God is good, that He has a plan for our lives, that, he, that Jesus died for us to reconcile us to God, and from here on out, He's put us on a new path, and all we have in front of us is joy in the gospel. So we believe the gospel above our circumstances, however bad or good they may be. We believe the gospel above our emotions at any given time. We believe the truth of the gospel in all things. In the second week, we saw how disciples are devoted to the Bible. Like, it makes sense, right? If you're going to devote yourself to Jesus, you're going to read his words, and you're going to try to obey them. Simple. The third week, we talked about how disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, are devoted to prayer. Prayer lets us spend time with Jesus. And as John had this, like, awesome analogy that when you pray, it's like being on top of a mountain. It puts everything else in your life in perspective. So week after that, we saw how Jesus sets us on a brand new path in life and how if we're a follower of Jesus, we want to follow down that path. And fortunately, God has not set us on the path alone, but he gives us the church. He gives us people to walk with on the path as we try to be more and more like Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I gave a talk about how loving others is one of the clearest signs that you're following Jesus because he is the perfect example of like real, fierce, godlike type love. And so his followers should embody that sort of fierce love. And then last week, John very simply talked talk to us about the, how disciples are devoted to his church. The idea that Jesus himself set in motion this thing that we do and that we are called church. And we continue to walk in that today. And so today, we're unleashing part seven, which is the idea that followers of Jesus are devoted to giving. Jesus was the most generous person to ever live. He traded the riches of the kingdom of heaven for poverty so that he might make us rich in God. That is generosity. And the Bible, over and over and over and over and over again, calls us to live with radical generosity with our possessions. It says things like, just like crazy things like, give to all those who ask of you. It says things like, blessed is the man who shares his food with the poor. And here, in Acts chapter 2, 
We see people following Jesus who are selling the things that they own and, and giving it to others as there is need. So a follower of Jesus is devoted to giving. But if I'm going to equip you today to be generous like Jesus, I feel like I have to spend time equipping your heart. Like your heart needs to be equipped because it's not natural, like it's not our natural inclination, right, to take hard-earned money that we have made and to distribute it and give it to other people. It's not our natural inclination. Our, our natural inclination is like, oh, this, is, this is my money, like I, I, I need it for security, I need it for, like, to, to get stuff, you know, I don't want to give it away. That, that's what our heart says, and so we need to address that if I'm going to equip you to follow Jesus. And secondly, I have to equip your mind. Tell you how to do it. Answer questions like, you know, how, how much should I give to others? Or, or, or where should I give? And like, so, so questions like that. So once you have the motivation, how do you do it? And so I think the secret is, um, and if you're going to clock out early, this, you know, right after this would be the time to do it, because this is the secret, I think. This is my thesis to radical generosity. I think if you have this in your mind, if you live with this idea in your mind, then you will be able to be generous no matter how much or how little you have. So this is it. The gospel liberates you to give to Jesus' unstoppable mission of hope. I always try to say my, my bold points twice, just maybe like get it in your brain. The gospel liberates you to give to Jesus' unstoppable mission of hope. I chose every word in there carefully because I believe every word is necessary to equip your mind and your heart. So you may have noticed that John and I usually have, uh, when we preach, we usually start with the gospel, right? We start with the gospel and then we usually move and try to unpack like all the implications, all the different things that flow out of this truth that is the gospel. We always start there. And so I always like to just remind you of what the gospel is every time that I preach. I think it's a great opportunity. So this is the gospel, right? God created the world good, and he created it to operate in a certain way. And humans, for a little while, spent time with God and fellowship with him, and everything was good. But then humans start to go down a new path, a new way. Right? And the new way called sin, we, we thought it was going to make us happier in life, but it turned out that that way was really kind of destructive. Like, we, we thought it was going to give us joy, but then it, it, it brought us pain. And we thought it was going to give us, like, a better life than what we had, but it just brought us death. And ultimately, it led us farther and farther and farther and farther away from the happiness that we had in God. But you know the verse, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Jesus was sent into the world, into this dark and broken world to be a light. Everything that he did was good. Everything that he said was true and life-giving. He demonstrated his power over the brokenness of the world by healing disease. He demonstrated his power over the human heart by like 
caring and comforting those who were like brokenhearted. But he was ultimately rejected by most of the people that he came to save. They nailed him up on two pieces of wood and they waited for him to die. But the reason that the cross is the symbol of Christianity, the reason that that's plastered everywhere is because we believe that through the cross, through Jesus' death on the cross, God reconciled us back to his goodness. And the reason that is, is because the Bible has the outrageous claim, like Christianity has this outrageous claim, and you either believe it or you don't, that Jesus rose from the dead, and he offers to do the same to everyone who believes in him. This is the claim of Christianity. So Jesus rescued us out of the destructive path that we were on, and he put us together on a new path that leads to goodness, and it leads to joy, and it ultimately leads to God. And so that is the gospel. For people who follow Jesus, we no longer have to walk this destructive path called sin. Jesus has liberated us from that. And I really, 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 really like that word, like liberation, liberated It it brings up like a war-like imagery. Like if you look in the Bible, if you look at like, let's see, Romans 3, it says you have been saved by grace. It says in Colossians 1 that you have been rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of Jesus. It says in Psalms, seek the Lord and he will deliver you from all your fears. Saved, rescued, delivered. These are the images, these are the words that the Bible uses for you if you have trusted in Jesus. This is what he has done for you on the cross. Say, okay, I I get that, great. How does that make me a generous giver? All right, so I'm going to build the connection right now, okay? If you want, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. It's also going to be on the screen behind me, but I encourage you to to do it yourself. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. It's my second favorite passage in the whole Bible. Because it's, it's so simple, so beautiful, and it changes everything. It says this. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that is the world, seeks all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The gospel liberates you to give generously because Jesus frees you from worrying about money. In this passage, we see Jesus saying, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. All the world worries about money. Everybody out there worries about money. They worry about what they're going to put on the table. They're worried about their savings. They're worried about bills. Worrying about bad things happening. 
But you are liberated from worry. Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. These are the truthful words that they were reading in the Bible. And if you receive them, it changes everything. So as Christians, we do save some money because we don't want to be a burden on other people. But we give more of it away because we trust God to take care of our needs. Why do listen to me on this, all right? Just trek with me on this. Money is not your security. Money is not your security. Jesus is your security. Jesus is your security. If you pull out a dollar bill right now, what does it say on the dollar bill? It says, in God we trust. It's like this reminder every time you pull out money that it's like, no, God is the one who takes care of us. The Bible says he gives to us even in our sleep. God loves us and he takes care of us. I just started thinking like, man, what, what would happen if you or if I started like living our lives just like liberated from this fear of the future? Like, like what would it look like for me to not worry about what's in my bank account or what's in my savings or like whatever? Like what, what sort of radical generosity would that propel me into? Possibilities are endless when we begin to trust God instead of our money. The first part is the gospel liberates you to give generously. And part two is that you are liberated so that you can give to Jesus' unstoppable mission of hope. You see, the Bible talks about, you know, we talk about this new path that Jesus sets us on, and that's a good metaphor. But the Bible also uses war-like imagery for the Christian life. It says in Ephesians 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, so not against other people. But it's against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like there's this cosmic struggle going on between Jesus and all that is destructive in the world. I mean, if you turn on the news, you can see it playing out behind the scenes. And whenever you choose to follow Jesus, you've basically chosen sides in the war. Like, we stand with Jesus. We stand for all that is good and all that is life-giving and all that leads to God and happiness forever. And on the other side, it's all that is destructive, all the sin in the world, all the greed in the world and, and lust and all these different things that, 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 that tear down. So the Bible calls us to be generous to giving to the work of the mission of Jesus. And that's where we get this idea of tithing. It's kind of this like old school, Old Testament type term, right? And so let's just like break it down just for a second. So tithing, this word comes from the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, where it basically talks about how God dealt with this people called the Israelites, and he told them, I want you to give 10% of your income for the sake of the ministry and for the sake of caring for the poor. Just like very simple. So this money would go and it would serve the priest and the work that they did in serving like all the people, right? And so we carry on this tradition today of giving back to the work that happens in this place. Like if there's a war going on, this place is a command center for that war. 
At White Oak, we truly believe that we are on a mission of spreading the hope of Jesus' message. So we want the gospel to advance to this community around us. We want to heal broken lives with the power of the gospel. And we want this message to extend overseas, especially to the people of China, the the Zhuang people who we've been serving for like years and years and years. We want the gospel to, to go and heal their lives as well. I see tithing as siphoning off resources from a destructive world and redirecting them to the life-giving, hope-spreading, unstoppable mission of Jesus. And I say unstoppable because if you give or if you don't give, Jesus is going to win. That's not the issue. I think the issue is do we want to be a part of victory? Do we want to be a part of the mission? Is it okay? Um, recognize that. I, I, I want to I recognize that I, I want to give you know, some of the money that I make. I recognize it's God's anyway, and I want to give some back to Him for the sake of the church and for the work of the church. Uh, how much should I give? It's always the question, right? Well, how much should I give? And the answer is, however much you want. 2 Corinthians uh, talks about this church that wanted to help some people, and they basically asked that same question. And uh, Paul, who wrote the book, said this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. Give as you have been blessed. In the Bible, it doesn't really talk about, like, doesn't bless people more because they have more money or bless people less because they have less money. It's more about what you've decided in your heart between you and God to give. The Bible has a precedent of, like, 10% of your income, and some people feel that that's too little. Some people need to, like, spend time working up to that amount. But I'll tell you really practically just what I do. This works for me. It may not work for you. It works for me. But I've decided to commit to this church. I'm a member here. I'm blessed by all you guys and all the stuff that y'all do. And I'm blessed by the preaching that happens here. So I've decided to lay roots. This is my church. I want to support it. I want it to thrive. I want it to grow. I want to do all those different things, right? So I looked at my income and I came up with the percentage each month. And I was like, I want to give this back to the Lord each month for the sake of spreading the gospel through this church. And here's the kicker. This is probably the least spiritual thing I'm going to say the whole day. <laughs> Direct deposit. Automatic, <laughs> automatic deposit every time, I bank, or every time I get paid. I don't have to think about it. It's automatic. It's money that I don't miss because I never had it in the first place and I'm not faced with this moral dilemma of am I going to spend it on this or am I going to spend it on the church? And just a caveat, disclaimer, I'm just a member, right? I'm just a regular member like you guys. I've just decided to commit to this place and I want my life to be about gospel advancement. So that's the way that I do it. You may not do it that way. Some people like to put the check in the offering plate, whatever. It doesn't matter. Find a way that works for you. Be about gospel advancement. And just real quick, um, 
to the young adults, especially, trying to find y'all. If you're just new to the workforce and you're just starting out, you're getting that paycheck and it, it feels nice, right? Start this devotion to giving now. Like, set up this habit now. Because you're at this, like, crossroads. We all come to this crossroads of, like, am I going to devote myself to, like, the American dream? And it's okay to have some nice stuff, but am I going to devote myself to, to all those, like, really nice things? Or am I going to be about the gospel advancing, and people's lives being changed, and people being saved, and all that kind of stuff? Like, I've made my choice when it comes to that, and I hope that you guys make the same choice. So really quick, as we try to wrap up here, um, I'm going to get real. I know we're living in America, and it's almost unavoidable to be debt-free. So I'm going to bring that up real quick. The Bible calls us not to be in debt to anybody. And part of that is so that we can be generous to other people. When you're in debt, you're a slave. Like, you're, you're in bondage to that. It, it controls your decisions and all those kind of things. So if you're in debt, I encourage you to, to seek out resources to get out of debt. I like Chris Branson has great resources. Go talk to him. He will tell you how to manage your money to get back into a place where you're stable and you can contribute. And this is my belief. I guess some may disagree, but... I think regardless of your financial situation, I think that you should give some back to the church. Maybe not as much as you would otherwise, but just some as like a, to continue on the habit and also to show God that you have faith that he's ultimately going to get you out of it. So last point, and then we'll close. The first practical point is to tithe regularly. And the last point is to give spontaneously. The beautiful, awesome, wonderful thing about the gospel is that it frees us from worrying about possessions so that we can give in random, spontaneous acts of love to other people. There's so much need around us. Like in this room right now, there is need. I guarantee it. And as we start to walk together, as we start to commit to each other, like to walking in life together, the need becomes more exposed as we have conversations, right? Someone lost their job. Someone just had a baby. Car trouble. This and that. Those are opportunities for you to jump in and to help and do what you can. This is the picture that we see in Acts chapter 2 of people who are like, I don't need this stuff. I have Jesus. He is my treasure. He is my joy. Here, take it. Take it. it you know, I, I know you'd do the same for me if I were in the same situation. Actually, I was asking around people around White Oak of like stories of how others have blessed them. And it got crazy, the stuff that I was hearing. I've heard of an, like anonymous $1,000 checks being left at people's front door. I've heard of people like giving and like lending their cars away. I've heard of like random acts of giving, like just because, not really because of a need, just because they want to bless someone. I've heard of a homeless guy like being fed in the middle of a lady's luncheon, like that was like crazy story to hear. I've heard of someone giving clothes in a hotel room to a man like right out of prison. Let these stories be your legacy. 
Like, be about that. Like, in those moments when you feel the Holy Spirit, like, you hear of a need and you're like, I gotta do something about that. Do it, joyfully. I don't know anyone who's ever gone back and was like, man, I wish I hadn't given that money to those people. Like, no one ever says that. Like, Jesus is, is real and true when he says it's better to give than to receive. There's nothing better than that. So as we draw to a close, um, I just want to say no one looks back on their life and wishes they had bought more stuff. Nobody. People look back on their life and they want to have more impact. And this is one way that you do that. Christ has freed us to live a life that reflects trust in the gospel for everything. Money is an important part of the human experience, but the gospel reorients our understanding about money. So instead of being our security, it becomes a conduit for spreading hope throughout the world. Radical generosity puts Jesus on display to others. The crazy thing about generosity is that sometimes miracles come through your obedience. One quick story, and then I'll close. This is actually a very personal story for me, and I was going back and forth whether or not I want to share it, but, you know, honestly, whatever. So I, I, the only other person who knows the story is, is Emily. And um, so last year, or the year before, late 2013, I'd, I'd quit my job because I felt like God was like leading me to do something else. And I wasn't sure like what it was, didn't have anything lined up, probably stupid decision, but I did it. And so I left my job, and I spent 2014, last year, kind of living off the savings trying to apply to different places, trying to figure out what am I going to do. And in the meantime, I had all kinds of like, I had rent and I had like student loans and all this kind of stuff was like piling up. And like late last year, it was like November, something like that. It it got to the point to where it was like choking, kind of like choking me, you know, that feeling. I had a part-time job, but it just wasn't enough. It was just choking me. I remember going to my parents' house and I was like kind of sharing some of this with them. And I remember like, Right before I, I, I got up to leave, um, they gave me an envelope with the check inside. And I remember just like leaving that night and just weeping. Like, like in that moment, God has spoken to me and said, James, it's okay. Like, I'm going to take care of you. Trust me. So in those moments... When you see need, give. Um, Even if you think it's a little bit, trust me, it's not a little bit. It has huge impact. So let generosity be your legacy. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are the most generous being in existence. Jesus, you traded the riches that you had in heaven to live a life of poverty, a life where you were abandoned, a life where you were murdered. But you did that so that we can enjoy the riches that come with living in the gospel. Because of you, we have 
joy. Because of you, we have peace. Because of you, we have eternal life. And no one, no one, no one can take that from us. So Father, I pray that we at White Oak would live in light of that truth. That we would see ourselves as having everything in the kingdom and so that we would hold our money loosely. That we would give freely. That we would give radically. That we would have a legacy of generosity. I pray especially, Lord, as we march toward the Christmas season, a time where there's a lot of need and a lot of need gets exposed, Lord. I pray that you would put in our hearts, each of us, how we can give um, to the work of this church and how we can give individually to people that we know in our lives. We love you, Lord. We trust you. And we live our lives in the fact that we believe in the gospel and have been changed by it. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.